Optophobia, the fear of opening one's eyes. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging you, our listeners, to move beyond that fear, to solve riddles they don't want us to unriddle, to investigate supposedly ironclad truths, to unearth evidence buried for so long they believed it would stay buried. Season 1 A Cold War-era military base in the Horn of Africa called Cagnew Station. For years, there was an official story about a U.S. intelligence project at Cagnew, codenamed Stonehouse. The project included a pair of 15-story parabolic antennas that the American government claimed was simply part of a powerful radio communications operation. But as the space race with the Soviet Union intensified, that cover story looked increasingly flimsy. By the 1970s, civil war forced the U.S. from Ethiopia, and Cagnew Station closed for good. Or did it? What was Stonehouse, really? What happened at Cagnew Station between 1974 and 1991 when violence and war gave perfect cover to any shadowy agency, organization, or cabal seeking it? This season on Optophobia, we'll track down the distortions, the assumptions, the omissions. Are you bored by the lies? Open your eyes. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Adam Bricker. People love horror stories. We just celebrated the beloved national holiday called Halloween. And it, Chapter 2, has made more than $1.5 billion around the world in the last two months. There's a special subgenre of horror movie that has to do with faith and the devil that were especially popular in the 1970s. Uh, movies like The Exorcist and The Omen. And today we have a guest with family connections to Cagnew Station and with a truly haunting story to tell. So we'll meet Father Thomas in a minute. But first, I wanted to update you guys about some research that I've been doing about Cagnew Station and the ionosphere. So we've been talking about this theory that the Stonehouse antennas were built to disturb the ionosphere. The ionosphere is the part of Earth's atmosphere that reflects radio waves. So, in the 1960s, the Cagney Station staff was disturbing the ionosphere and then measuring that disturbance. A few weeks ago, I visited the National Archives in Maryland, and I found declassified documents suggesting that the U.S. Army Security Agency's Stonehouse experiments had something to do with nuclear submarines in the Indian Ocean. Well, it turns out, that one of the main problems with the Polaris program was command and control, basically how to maintain communications with the sub's sophisticated mobile underwater systems. The ASA was using the Stonehouse antennas to connect nuclear subs patrolling the Indian Ocean with naval command centers in Washington. But it was also using the antennas to turn the ionosphere itself into a massive antenna to transmit signals underwater, something Stonehouse alone couldn't do. But there are hints in some of the documents that I looked at that in heating up the ionosphere, 
Stonehouse was actually having an impact on things like space plasmas and high-altitude lightning. So, in effect, we were disrupting the cosmos. So, some interesting stuff. I will keep digging into that for future shows. But for today, I'm here with my regular co-host, Deborah, former host of the popular syndicated show, Deborah, and author of the book, I Can't Go for Mind Control, No Can Do, Hall, Oats, and the Soviet Roots of Blue-Eyed Soul. Hi, Deborah. Hi, how are you today, Adam? I'm pretty good. What's new? Oh, I am. I'm great today. I knew that we were having a fellow spiritually minded person on the podcast. So as a little treat to myself, I went to my favorite restaurant this morning. To kind of celebrate the mm-hmm. this kind of spiritual connection? Yeah, just to, you know, get myself fueled for a really effervescent conversation. And w- what did you have? Where, what is your favorite um, restaurant? I had Moons Over Miami at Denny's. Does Denny's have some sort of spiritual connotation for you? In the way that America has a spiritual connotation hmm. for me, Denny's has a spiritual connotation for me. It's the most American of restaurants. Denny's has been around for a long, maybe since mm-hmm. the Cold War. It has. It has been around a long time. And it's it stood up to a lot of threats over that time. From other chains? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also, I would imagine, anti-American threats. How were the moons over Miami? They were delicious. Extra salty. Just the way I like to order them. Well, I'm glad it was good. Yeah, and I'm excited for you to meet Father Thomas. Because oh, me as well. He has an amazing story to tell. Before we get there, I just want to tell people, if you're new to the Cagnew story, as, a, as we say every week, and you want some background, listen to our first episode or go to our website, optophobia.org, and you can get all that context. Unfortunately, the guest we were going to talk to this week, Cheryl Chang, was unable to make it. Cheryl is, of course, well known for her theory that Stonehouse was an early artificial intelligence project that went awry when the two antennas began talking to each other and plotting against Cagnew Station personnel. Cheryl, who's a butcher in Swink, Colorado, ate some tainted tripe. So she was not up for doing our show this week. Yeah, she was sick. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, but we'll have her back when she's feeling better. We really lucked out, though, with our guest who is available and is here We have Father Richard Thomas, who agreed to join us. Father, welcome to Optophobia. Thank you so much for having me. Blessings all around. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, how you became a priest, maybe, a little bit about your Okay, you want want it all, huh? You want it all, yeah. Yeah, we'd love to get to know our guests. So yeah, tell us a little about yourself. Well, uh, my name is Father Richard Thomas. I'm uh, from San Diego, California, so... uh, you know, I'm kind of uh, got that laid back priest vibe. I, I hear from some, you know, some of the other priests. Uh, I'm in the Archdiocese of San Diego. It's been maybe 40 years now that I've been in the priesthood. I grew up in a very faithful family. My mother, she pushed me so hard mm. into the priesthood. You know, some people, their parents are telling them to be doctors, lawyers. My mother didn't even let me finish high school. She told me, I'm going to the seminary. I need to be a priest. Wow, so you started early. I started when I was 16 years old, yeah. So nowadays that is not allowed, but back then it was a different time for faith, and they were welcoming me with open arms. Were you born and raised in San Diego? 
Yeah, well, I moved there at a very young age. I might have been three or four years old when uh, my father and my mother and I relocated to San Diego. Um, I grew up uh, for the first three years of my life in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and then we made the move to San Diego. Something about the image of a California kind of surfer priest. Oh, I don't surf. No? I do not uh, surf. I, I'm Maybe I should have uh, to fit the mold a little better, but no, my feet are on the ground. That's so funny because when I hear the song California Girls by the Beach Boys, I always oh, do yes. this little funny thing in my head where I think, I wish they all oh, could, could be, be California, California. Oh, no, you don't. I do. <laughs> you don't. I do that because I love my priest and That's I'm a California wonderful. girl. That is so great. And he's a Cali priest too. So, Deborah, did you grow up uh, in a faith tradition? I did not actually... I I grew up far away from faith and from Jesus, and I found it later on, Hmm. and it saved me. Yeah. I mean, my parents were godless liberal arts school professors, so I I didn't grow up with the warm embrace of Jesus Christ. Well, yeah. Well, you know, we all come from very different backgrounds, but, you know, I myself, I— you know, I wasn't always so strong in faith. I, you know, I rebelled at uh, my early 20s. I thought, no, this is all, this is all bananas. None of this makes sense. This is just what my mom wants me to do. So there was a number of years where I was just a total renegade. So, Father, what was your, what was your father's role in, in all of this? What did he think about your, how your mom pushed you? pretty hard to become a priest. My father wasn't particularly interested in how I was being raised. He was distant, you know, he was a military guy. Um, he just kind of let her do all the uh, parenting. As long as I was listening to her, he really didn't have any say in all of this. What did they do for a living? Did your both your parents work? Uh, my mother was a stay-at-home my uh, mom, and my father was in the Navy. In the Navy? Yes. Oh, yeah, San Diego, that would make sense. Yes, that's how we ended up there. And what, what did he do in the Navy? Well, a lot of his missions I really had no knowledge about. He wouldn't talk a lot about it. He was a really private man. He would be gone for months at a time. Uh, my mother and I would be desperate to know where he was being stationed, if he was going to be coming back, he really kept it to himself. Do you think that was his choice, or was that something that was sort of imposed upon him by the job itself? That's a very good question. I often wonder if this something that he was born with this personality, or was this something that the Navy forced on him? I like to believe in my heart that he would have been more open with us if he had those freedoms. Well, I'm, I'm interested to talk a, lot, a little bit about your, your Cagnu research. It's not real research. This is all things that actually happened to you and your family. Unfortunately. Let's take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Father Thomas. Hey, Optophobes. I'd like to talk to you for a minute about our former sponsor, sort of, Spikenard monocled Cobrasolve. Weirdly, the retired founder of SMCS parent company, Blend Venom Solutions, lives at an elder care community in Shalimar County, Florida called the Polyps at Jonathan Winters. 
The staff at the Polyps at Jonathan Winters played episode five of Optophobia for the entire community so they could hear themselves mentioned on a podcast. The Blend Venom founder, Mr. Gizzard Charlemagne, subsequently listened to some earlier episodes and heard our ads for his company. That triggered a flurry of text messages with his daughter, Myra, who now runs the company, and that triggered an email to us from Blend Venom Solutions General Counsel Fran St. Podge. Miss St. Podge asked me to read some very precise language to our listeners or face further legal action, but I honestly don't know what I did with it. So I'm just going to repeat what I said last week. Spikenard monocled Cobrasolve. Don't touch it. It's flammable and hazardous. Hi, we're back with Father Richard Thomas. Father, you were talking about your childhood and your entrance into the priesthood at a young age and how your own father was a little bit of a mystery, it sounds like, to you and your mom, at least in terms of his job. Does any of that tie into what what your family experienced at Cagnew Station? My father had left. He didn't give us a whole lot of details. He was gone for... You know, this wasn't unusual. He was gone for maybe three or four months. We would hear from him, you know, a letter would come maybe once a month or so saying he was all right. He was stationed somewhere. He couldn't give us any details, but he loved us. So we kind of got used to this lifestyle, but suddenly the letters just started getting a little more unusual. They seemed very worrisome. We got letters making it seem like he was in danger. Now, he's a very private man. We never saw this side of him before, but he would say things like, you know, if anything ever happens, you know what to do. Please get out of San Diego if anything goes wrong. If something happens to me, leave. There is a lot of evil in this world. Wow. A lot of evil in this world. And I'm... How old were you at this point? I was 18 at the time. Yeah. So I was really worried. I didn't know what was going on. Uh, My mother, she was a total mess. Um, We tried to get more information from the Navy, asking where is he, where is he stationed. We showed them the letters, and they were furious when they saw the contents of them. I don't know how they got to us, but they were furious that he was sending us this sort of information. And how long did that last? It lasted a couple of months until we got a final letter from him. And the letter spoke more clearly this time. He made it clear to us that where he was was not a safe place. There was demonic activity at Cagnew Station. It was the first time we knew where he was. He didn't said it by name, and he said he was feared for his life because of demonic possessions that he has been witnessing. And oh he was God. begging for us to help him come home. Wow. You know, this really ties in with a theory that I've, I've just been toying around with, which is that both Daryl Hall and John Oates were... Good Americans who were possessed Mm. by evil Russian demons. And I have not been able to rule out that theory yet. But if there was demonic activity around Cagnew Station, this could tie in. It opens that possibility back up. It really opens that possession angle 
back up to my theories. You have been through every potential Hollywood theory. Every potential so theory. If this brings that one back up to the top of the pile, that's amazing. Yeah, because before it was that they had listened to the White Album backwards too many times. Oh. And then the other one was just that they're bad, bad men. But this would really explain it. It happens more often than people want to believe. I know it sounds like fairy tale, but I've seen it with my own eyes. My father went on to say that he had, in his heart, believed that this uh, station was built upon what he believes were the gates of hell. The gates of hell. The gates of hell. You know, is Dante and Dante's Inferno stumbled upon the gates of hell, went down into hell. These are the very same grounds to which that gate exists. And it all was starting to line up based on the accounts he was giving us. The possessions were just, it it was unbelievable. This is all starting to make a very eerie kind of sense. Yes. When the U.S. took over the Italian radio station that became Cagnew Station, there was a sign. I don't know if, if you could even call it a sign. It was just a wooden board with a scrawl on that board that was kind of tossed away behind a shed but there are pictures of it and it said abandon all hope ye who enter here in italian it's amazing to think that this could be where i hate some sort of hole to say could it is i you know there's certain things that i I'm certain about in my life, and this is something I'm certain about. You can look into it. There is so many people who have just gone missing from Cagney Station that are just unaccounted for. Reason being, they dabbled. They looked into these gates of hell. They were curious. They went in. They didn't come out. They didn't return. And the ones who were able to look inside, they were releasing the spirits, releasing the demons for others to be possessed by. Your father saw all of this? Unfortunately, uh, yes. He was a witness and um, an accomplice to much of it. He was an accomplice? Oh, wow. Yes, he did return home from Cagnew Station, possessed. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Yes. And, and what were the marks of his possession, if you don't mind me asking? He was a wild man, total wild man. This is the most clean-cut man you've ever seen in your life. He was just disheveled. He was speaking in Latin. He didn't know Latin. He doesn't know Latin. Never learned Latin. He grew up in Cleveland. There was no Latin teachings in his upbringing. Do you mind me asking, was he harmonizing creating tight melodies that are rhythm and blues driven. Yes, he was he was getting really into rock and roll music. It was terrifying to watch. Wow. His hair was down to his shoulders. Oh my god. That's my really mother disturbing. would throw holy water on him and he would get mad. Could you believe that? Father, if he was possessed, so he himself was possessed but he was also giving you the information that this is a wider occurrence than just his possession, that this was happening all across Cagnew Station. Yes. Hmm. Was that difficult for him to to play both of those roles? My understanding of this is he was giving us information before the possession took place. When his soul was still pure, he was giving us this information. When he got back, he just—he was a new man. 
And so, as a young priest, as I was at the time, I tried to exercise the demons from my father's body. Wow. Yes. Did you have training in that? Did you just do some reading? I did not have training or permission. (laughs) If the bishop found out what I was doing, I would have been excommunicated immediately. Okay? This was not kosher what I was doing. So the the only evidence that we have that this was a wider occurrence at Cagnu are your father's letters before he came home. Yes. Did he describe any more details about what kind of paranormal activity was going on? Yes. So there was a man named Ronald. I I don't know his position. I don't know his last name, but he would talk about Ronald. Ronald was seeming to be the ringleader of telling people, let's open these gates. Let's get down there. Let's see what's going on. He seems to have been the ringleader trying to, for whatever reason, conjure these demons out into the world. And I've been trying to contact Ronald. I've been trying to find him. And, I mean, it's been so long, so many years, but I am determined. I think he is the key to, you know, finding out what really happened in there, what happened to my father. The exorcism I performed on my father wasn't successful. He was... He got mad again. He got mad at me because I told him he was the devil. He needed to cut his hair. I'm so sorry, Father. I know. I'm so sorry for your father, Father. And I'm trying to find Ronald, and I'm trying to find out why. Why would you do this to my father? Why would you get him involved in something like this? Before Michael McDonald became Michael McDonald... There were reports that his name was Ronald McDonald. And that he spent time Please. in Ethiopia Please. with Stop. the U.S. Don't. military no. before Lord. he transformed into the blue-eyed soul artist we know today as Michael McDonald. He was Ronald McDonald. They say, that's too, that's too fast food. We need to change your name. And he went with Michael. And he went with Michael, which is, you know, the blasphemous name of a, an archangel, nonetheless, for very, such a, very a dark man. I wonder, Father, if these explorations of the gate to hell at Cagnu, the way that you've described them, or maybe the way that your father has described them in his letters, given what we know about Cagnu and about the government experiments there, Part of me wonders whether this was an intentional, government-funded, organized exploration of the gate to hell, if that's indeed what they had discovered. I would not be surprised in the slightest that there was some reason that the government wanted to harness the gates of hell for their own use. I mean, if they can control hell, you know, they can control everything. I would not be surprised if there are people sitting in our government right now who are formerly at Cagnew Station who have been possessed by the devil and who are doing his bidding. That is a sobering thought. Could this be at all connected to the theory that we were discussing on our show related to the brain suck and the brain pump? Very much so. As in a way, this is much like a a soul suck and then a soul pump. And if that is what our guest family was experiencing, mm. was really this demonic possession, then it could really, it could really be a breakthrough. 
Can you give us an update about your father? Well, my father, he's in his late 80s now, so he's an old man. We, we've been not on speaking terms ever since the incident where I tried to exercise him. Um, but as his age has gotten up there and his health is declining, I've tried to reach out again, um, and he still is mad at me. I hate to bring it back to, but I, if he's not going to meet me halfway, I don't, I'm not going to, you know. This must have also been very difficult for your mother, who seems to have been very devout. Did they stay together? Uh, well, they did not stay together, but there's no divorce because she was, uh, she was not going to let that happen. She was not going to get divorced and be exiled from the community, you know. This was very hard for her. She kind of just went along for the ride. She's so devout and so Catholic that divorce was impossible, was even, impossible. even from Even from the devil. Possessed the by devil Satan. himself. Yeah. Wow. Even from the devil himself. Good for her. I know. Good Catholic She's woman. She's really something. Father Thomas, this has been very upsetting, but... Uh, yeah, well... I want to thank our guest this week, Father Richard Thomas. Really, thank you for coming on. I know that wasn't very that wasn't easy for you. Oh no, it's it was fine. I love actually spreading the message of the devil's real existence and that you need to be scared because he is here and he is fighting for your soul and if you don't believe in him, that's what he wants. Okay? That's what he wants. We call that the devil's candy. Mhm. Yeah, and it's sweet. Uh, thank you to my co-host this week, Deborah. Thank you, Adam. She's the author of the book, I Can't Go for Mind Control, No Can Do, Hall Oats, and the Soviet Roots of Blue-Eyed Soul, which is available at your local free-thinking bookstore. Next week, we will talk to Mary Vonderstank, a bailiff from Nooksack, Washington, who has written an e-book about secretive Cold War-era U.S. military bases in Africa called Secret Cold War-era U.S. military bases in Africa. Booknook.com said Mary's book had, quote, many words in it. And a review in Cold War-era military bases review said, if you thought secretive Cold War-era U.S. military bases in Europe was okay, you'll think secretive Cold War-era U.S. military bases in Africa is also okay. Sounds exciting. We'll find out next week. Thanks for listening to Optophobia. I'm Adam Bricker, and I will leave you with this. Show me a man who can do the old buck and wing in a cold water flat, and I will show you an asshole. Okay. I didn't know it was this kind of podcast. If you've got theories about what was really going on at Cag News Station, we'd like to hear them. You can find us on our website, optophobia.org, or on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at at Optophobes. And please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Thanks to Mikey Blunchy, who played Father Richard Thomas. Mikey performs with Lizard Girl at the Washington Improv Theater. Follow him on Instagram at at Boys Night or Twitter at at Pizza Party Mikey. Liz Sanders played Deborah. Liz performs with Madeline, a Washington Improv Theater house ensemble. Optophobia was produced by Tim Townsend. Music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Cover art by Claire Smalley. Website by Chance Griffin. Thanks for listening. Until next week, keep them open.